Welcome to another episode of Ready Teacher One. I'm Adam Mangana. And I'm Ryan McLaughlin. And with us tonight is Craig Frelick. He's an international school educator. He is a podcast host. He is an author. And he is an expert on all things virtual reality, as well as being a fellow Victory XR teacher. Craig, welcome so, uh, to the show. We're so glad to have you on. Gentlemen, thanks so much for hosting me bright and early here in Singapore. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. Craig, I would love to start off by asking, how did you get interested in virtual reality and its applications in education? Great question. Uh, my origin story actually has to do with my son. So at the time, this was about four years ago, my son was 16 years old and we were at the mall, which is what lots of 16 year olds like to do. And we were sure walking around and uh, there was a Microsoft store and right at the entrance to the Microsoft store, they had set up an HTC Vive. And so my son uh, was super excited to try it out. Both he and I are casual gamers. And so it, it interests, interested us at the time. So after filling out thousands of different waivers and forms, he donned the headset and I could see what he was doing on the screen and it seemed okay. It was, you know, not necessarily super inspiring, but when my son took the headset off, he was like, dad, you have got to try this. And I was hummed and hawed, but uh, at the end of the day, I was like, yeah, okay. And it was when I put the HTC Vive six degree of freedom headset on that the magic started to happen for me. Uh, I played a game called The Lab, and in The Lab are these little mini experiences, and one is called Longbow. So in Longbow, you can pull back a bow and arrow, and it has like this haptic feedback in your hands, and you, you know, shoot these little creatures, and I was so immersed. I must have played it probably for like 20 minutes before my son probably sort of brought me back to reality and said, Dad, we got to go, we got to go. I've got a hockey game to go to. So it was just magical for me. That's fantastic. Craig, tell us about your book that you've written. It's called Immersive Learning, A Practical Guide to Virtual Reality's Superpowers in Education. Tell us about what inspired you to write that book and tell us a little bit about virtual reality superpowers for education. I'd love to. So I have been doing a lot of work for the International Baccalaureate Organization, uh, AKA IB. Sure. So the, I, the IB program tries to wrap learning around big ideas called conceptual understanding. So getting kids to see the big picture around identity, or in the case of the sciences, systems thinking, so teachers have to work really hard at planning their lessons and units with these guided inquiries that are nested in concepts. And I, being a gamer, uh, was contracted do, to do a bunch of work for Springboard VR. Springboard VR operates uh, a platform for location-based entertainment around the world where LBE places, these are you know, sites where you can go to don VR headsets, can use their platform. And they were trying to get into the educational world and they hired me as a contractor to start to try and court 
educational institutions. And my job with them was to see the efficacy of some of these already developed games for learning. And these games that some of the kids play in 2D, like Fortnite, there are VR versions, puzzle games, you know, non-shooter games like uh, Keep Talking and No One Explodes, which is kind of a bomb disposal game. There's so much merit, I felt, for these games and learning. So I wrote a book about it. I wrote a book about how I think we need to open our eyes to what sort of conceptual teaching and learning might look like and, you know, pay attention to what the entertainment and gaming industry is in regards to how VR games might allow users and participants to lean in and engage through a VR experience with this big idea in mind. Absolutely tremendous. So, so Craig, I'm curious, you know, do, have you had any uh, experience kind of playing around with um, the, the user interface or user experience for some of these VR designs? Uh, have you uh, uh, taken the time to kind of learn how they're built and given uh, some of the developers feedback, particularly around um, making learning more efficient? Yeah, great question, Adam. So my journey kind of like a student went from consumption, so having access to all these different, what I deemed uh, learning, edu-learning games, so puzzle-type games uh, that Springboard had to offer. So I consumed a ton of these and learned a lot in the process to the point where at that time, uh, I was a design teacher, uh, I was a chemistry teacher, but I had no background in coding or computer studies. And so Unity and Unreal Engine, which are two game engines that are popular for people to design these, was a bit daunting for me. I would, I would hop in and I'd dabble a bit. In fact, there are some tutorials there, I remember, uh, one where it taught you how to do a bowling experience to roll a ball and i kept getting stuck and you know it tell me just to copy these this code and there'd be like a hashtag or a curly bracket that was missing and i couldn't figure out why so i gave up for a while and then i stumbled across uh, another platform called a frame so a frame develops vr experiences using basic HTML coding, as well as in the back end, a tiny bit of JavaScript. So I jumped on this and I took a bunch of tutorials online. Uh, Code HS, for example, offers some really simple courses that anyone can take for free. And so I started engrossing myself in those. Code Academy also has an A-frame uh, course that you can take again for free. So I gobbled these up to the point where uh, I learned how to create experiences that were semi-interactive. You could change variables, you could get people to grab and pick up things. And I've ever since then, which has been maybe uh, a month ago, I've been off to the races rolling that out to my design students. For example, uh, in my design class, we 
teach a little bit of entrepreneurship and we talk about how do you market a product and then get feedback for that and one student said wouldn't it be awesome if we could we could understand what the user was thinking when they when they walked into a store and started looking at all the different shelves and i said you know what we could build that in vr we could build a little mini store with a bunch of products on shelves and we could get people to actually walk in there and don a vr headset and we could look at what they're gazing at and start to unpack that now this isn't full-on eye tracking like a toby eye tracking system but you know again these are grade 10 11 kids and so they were so excited so they built these little virtual stores and they had a ton of kids at lunchtime try and come in and get an understanding like are they normally looking at the top shelf in the aisles or where where is their gaze what are they what's catching their eye and attention do products that have red colors tend to catch people's gaze and attention more than others so it's just recently now where i've dived into uh, trying to learn and then teach other students how to design these experiences. That's tremendous. That sounds, that sounds like a tremendous experience for students. Um, Craig, the three of us have all been in education for a long time. We've got uh, lots of experience, I think, seeing ed tech trends come and go. And every so often in education you hear, here's this thing that will change everything forever nothing's ever going to be the same and then a semester later or maybe a full school year later if you're lucky uh no one's even talking about that ed tech trend anymore why do you think or do you think um that xr vr ar is different this time and what would you say to a teacher who's skeptical about that i think we learn best through experience you know, some of our favorite memories as students, mine included, is field trips. I, I'll never forget my physics teacher took us to an amusement park and we had a set of goals ahead of time that we knew we had to embark on at the amusement park. One was to understand the potential and kinetic energy of a particular roller coaster. But being there was so visceral to us. It was hands-on. We rode the roller coaster. We got really in-depth into what we were doing. And we leaned into that learning because it was so experiential. Yeah. And teaching stuff that is more abstract requires a higher degree of interactivity. You know, uh, we've lived in Singapore for a while now, and my kids who are now older will never forget, we took them on a hike through a rainforest. And in our rainforest hike, they had these uh, Tonkin snub-nosed monkeys that they would tag to make sure that they could keep counts on how many monkeys were in the rainforest. And how they tagged them was so interesting. They had this vase and it, uh, a standard vase has a narrow neck at the top and then it kind of balloons out at the bottom and in the bottom where it balloons out they had uh, food in there so the monkey would crimp its hand and it would pinch it in and then it would grab all the food so it had the giant fist and then it, it tries to pull its hand out of the vase and it cannot but it won't let go 
of the prize or the food. So it's stuck there in the tree so that you can literally walk up to the monkey and there it is, it's screaming at you, but it, it just won't let go of what's inside. And it's a good lesson and metaphor for, are, are we teaching kids to be monkeys or are we teaching them to understand how to change and adapt to things on the go? And I think VR is great for that. I don't think we need to don this shiny new toy called VR for lower level thinking, you know, getting them to understand facts, getting them to memorize things, you know, multiplication tables, being that uh, Ryan, you're a math teacher. I think the magic and the superpowers of VR is getting kids to lean in and understand these bigger abstract, abstract things like how do we adapt to change? How do we become more resilient? Yeah. You know, the, we call them, I think, 21st century skills. Yeah. And sadly, I think we're in such a hurry in schools that we were impatient about allowing experiential learning, which VR can do, do so well to, to sort of filter and permeate in the unit to get them to understand these big ideas. Yeah. Like Stanford University, and I think you brought this up or someone brought it up on one of your previous shows, Stanford University, who's a leader in VR, thanks to Jeremy Balenson and his work and his team, have becoming homeless, the VR experience. And the whole point to that is to teach people about empathy towards the plight of homeless people. It's mm -hmm. not to get them to, to memorize any facts. It, it's this right. big abstract idea. And by experiencing it and walking in the shoes of a homeless person, you really walk away with this visceral idea that, wow, I had no idea. Like sometimes homeless people, it's not their fault and we shouldn't judge nor blame them. And VR can do that, it can teach that. Whereas, can you teach that with a PowerPoint slide? Probably not. I certainly don't think or a so. Zoom, or a Zoom call. It's a little <laughs> um, Craig, great, great points. So here's, here, so this is what's interesting, right? So 50 years ago, Steve Jobs said that the computer is really designed to amplify learning. It's to amplify human performance. Do you think we're close to a place, you know, online school isn't going anywhere? but certainly VR would be a better version of online school. Do you think we're close to a place where we could deliver an online school experience in the metaverse? And if not, what are the barriers to us getting to a place where we could offer kids in Mississippi the same kind of world-class uh, math and, and science instruction that you guys are delivering in Singapore? Mm. I think there's a couple things to unpack from that, Adam. You know, first, I hope so. I hope that we can understand and embrace teaching inside VR because what happens is you can create this digital virtual experience where you can have assets, i.e. manipulatives, things that kids can pick up and play with and think about and become curious about, you know, ruminate on that is very hard 
and takes a lot of time to do and replicate in a face-to-face -face classroom. You know, I, I teach uh, product design with my kids in design and one of the units is on flat pack furniture and eventually, ultimately, they have to design their own flat pack furniture piece. So to lead them up to that, to scaffold them for that experience, how wonderful would it be to throw out on the floor a whole bunch of different pieces of various IKEA furniture and get them to struggle a little bit to put them together and realize that there might be pieces missing and and just to see how the system of flat pack furniture works so systems thinking that that's either too expensive to do in the physical world or you know the amount of time it would take me and money to buy all these different pieces and then be able to throw them out on the floor and would i have space probably not to do that whereas i just finished teaching uh, five lessons where that was one of the experiences in my Victory XR online virtual classroom. I had this giant space and a digital twin of an industrial art center. It was like basically a big warehouse. And I had already pre-designed inside Blender little pieces of furniture that were then put into the asset store that I could quickly download and lay all over the place. So then I had about eight participants, eight students show up for my lesson and there they were with all these pieces. And it was so delightful. There were uh, some high school students as well as some adults that came and the, their reaction, just seeing all these pieces all over the place. And then how great it was to see them start to hang out and, and start to figure out like, um, you know, almost like analytical thinking, what goes where? No, this piece doesn't belong, so they could just throw that away. Uh, so that's my first piece is the, the ability to use materials and assets, and then I can reset the room. So, you know, how, that's impossible in the physical world, but then if I was sure. to teach this unit again, I could click a button and all those pieces could be reset again. So that's the first piece to the puzzle. And then how do we, democratize this for everyone. Well, you talked about this. Certain teachers around the world are passionate and enthusiastic about certain things. So part of the magic of teaching, especially if you're a parent, is you just cross your fingers that your son or daughter gets a teacher who just is passionate about their topic or their discipline to the point where they make it come alive and they're so motivated to think about experiences that allow kids to lean in. But that's not always the case. In a school division, you might have some teachers that are passionate and are still into their profession. But in VR, you can start to democratize this where, you know, I might be in Singapore, but when I taught this five lesson class on flat pack furniture and design thinking, I had kids from all over the world in my lesson, which opens up like, a whole window of opportunity for teachers and students to sort of pick and choose where they might get their education. Yeah, yeah it sounds like, you know, what you're saying to a large extent is, is something that Adam and I have talked about a lot, which is that VR is empowering teachers to use the kinds of great pedagogy we've always wanted to use, right? I mean, um, it sounds like your flat pack furniture lesson would fit right in with uh, a project-based learning framework, for instance, 
that, um, you know, frankly, a lot of teachers either don't have the resources to do, like you said, or, or um, it's, it's so cumbersome to repeat and so difficult to implement in the classroom that they shy away from it. So, um, you know, what we're giving folks with VR is the power to do the kinds of great teaching that they've always wanted to do. Craig, if somebody said to you, hey, look, I'd like to fund a completely online VR school, what pause might you offer or how would you set that person up for success? What, what, uh, what, what needs to happen in order to deliver school online completely in VR like we learned about in Ready Teacher One, I mean, Ready Player One? One would be to reconsider our curriculum. Again, I still think that around the world, the learning objectives that are a part of many curricula are packed with too much content and not enough uh, soft skills. Amen. So things like resilience, how do we teach teamwork and collaboration? You know, my journey with Springboard VR led me to a couple of really good VR apps that that make this happen. And I use them in my school just with a limited number of headsets. One is Akron, Akron Attack of the Squirrels. It's this powerful game where one person puts a headset on and then everyone else is on their phone. So the person with the headset on in the game Akron acts as this giant tree. Everybody else is on their phone and they're little squirrels. And it's almost like a modern day kick the can where the little squirrels on their phone have to steal these acorns from the tree. And the game with its AI and mechanics works such that if the squirrels are able to come up with a plan as a team, because there are different kinds of squirrels. There's like the big burly squirrel who has a giant shield and he can block and act almost as like a front line for a, a football tackle. You know, there are, there are speedy squirrels. You, you have to have a strategy to beat the tree. The tree will win almost always unless all the squirrels sort of work together with some sort of strategy. Uh, so, you know, back to your question, I think having more emphasis on, you know, with an ever-changing world, shouldn't we be spending more time in our education systems teaching soft skills? Second, VR and a VR school, which you allude to, Adam, shouldn't be 100% eight hours a day in a VR headset. There's going to be some synchronous stuff where we're in there with the VR headset and we're teaching and learning, but there's going to be some asynchronous stuff. You know, there, there might even be some good old-fashioned worksheets that kids have to fill in just to get sort of a basic review or understanding of something. And then they're going to use their VR headset for, you know, not synchronous, but some asynchronous stuff. They might play a puzzle game on their own. It's kind of like an escape room. You know, escape rooms were really popular because they teach us elastic thinking. Elastic thinking right. skills have to do with, you know, how do, we, how do we learn connections between objects and how do we solve puzzles that will lead us somewhere else? So I guess, you know, all that funding, do we need 
the VR headsets, absolutely. Will kids be in them for eight hours a day? No, maybe three. I say, you know, three or four. But other than that, they're going to be doing a, a few other things, you know, maybe some Zoom calls too, just to, because they've got this question that they want to ask a friend that was in a VR puzzle game, maybe just before them. Craig, if you were, yeah, fantastic. Craig, if you were in charge of a teacher training program or a, a teacher's college right now, and you had uh, young people aspiring to be teachers coming to you and saying, uh, hey, listen, uh, I, I know that VR is going to be a part of my teaching practice. I know that this is the way of the future. Tell me what I need to learn right now to be ready for what's coming. How would you get those future teachers ready for uh, an education practice that makes the best use of the technology that we have now, but also the technology that's coming down the pipe? You know, in my book, I, everyone loves acronyms. So uh, I use an acronym in one of my chapters. Uh, you know, VR isn't this tool that just operates magically on its own. And so I, I throw out this acronym called CRISP. And for me in my book, CRISP stands for, if, if you're going to use VR, let's ensure that it's being used for C, conceptual understanding. So getting kids to understand changing identity, getting kids to understand cooperation. So C, conceptual understanding. Next, R, it needs your VR headset and then experience needs to be grounded in a real life experience or scenario, so R. And then I, it should be something that is interrogative, so edgy, something that might be an issue like homelessness. Sure. S stands for it's gotta be connected to your school standards. So what are those and how, you know, not all of them, it may not meet all of them, but what are the, what are the tough ones? What are the difficult curricular standards that VR might help magically support students in their understanding? And then P is planned. So again, plopping a VR headset on a student should be planned out. Planned means what, what should students know before going into the VR experience? For example, are there certain terminologies that they should be aware of? Are there you know, certain real life experiences that we might share with them ahead of time? Then what are some things that they should pay attention to once they don the VR headset? Are there uh, you know, stumbling blocks or even just little logistical items? How long should they be in there? They, you, you should give them sort of some ballparks to say, you know, try this puzzle game, but I only want you to spend about 15 or 20 minutes in there, and, and then you're gonna come out. And then what happens after? What are some reflection questions we might ask the kids once they've taken the headset off? We wanna debrief them, you know, especially something like uh, becoming homeless where, you know, some kids are definitely gonna be taken aback because it is such a visceral, visceral experience. So we want to talk to them about it. You know, how did that make you feel? You know, what are some things that, you know, we want to consider if we do see a homeless person on the street? Yeah. 
Uh, so that, that would be if, if I ran a, a teacher education program, uh, I would use that acronym to underpin a lot of what we would want to do and learn about VR. Craig, I think one of the things that I've seen in my own career uh, as VR has evolved is, is, is the deployment of social VR, right? So, um, you know, it used to be when I started, you know, we would put these, put folks in these kind of on rails experiences and then pull them out and we would have uh, reflection conversations, but increasingly we can have the experience together, experienced it together, and then have this important reflection that you're framing in the context of social VR experiences like the Engage application or, or, or there are some others. Have you seen um, some interesting uh, evolutions in, in the social VR space? And what do you look most forward to as you, as you kind of fine tune the ability to deliver instruction, um, you know, in groups in VR experiencing the same thing simultaneously or synchronously? Yes, I agree with you. Social VR can be very powerful. But again, we have to put a caveat there to be careful not to just use it as a place for people to come into an auditorium, sit down in a virtual chair and listen to someone present a PowerPoint presentation to you, but now it's in VR. So, you know, my suggestion and the magic still of VR would be, if we think of social VR, or sorry, social experiences that are powerful in the real world, they're, you know, team building. Um, you know, a good example of that might be uh, we do this blindfold activity here at the school where the one, one student wears a blindfold, the other student has no blindfold. Uh, they get a picture of some tangram shapes and the student in the blindfold has the tangram pieces, the triangles, the rhombuses. And the person who has no blindfold on, in other words, they can see the image. It might be of a rabbit. So the rabbit has triangles and rhombuses and they're all aligned to make the shape of a rabbit but the blindfold person has control over the tangram pieces and they're all mixed up so the person who can see has to explain verbally to the person who's blindfolded how to arrange the different pieces to make the shape you know that's a really powerful social experience between those two because it's two-way communication it's it's struggling a bit to problem solve, you know, getting people together where they're working with a goal in mind in VR would be the best use case scenario for social VR. Awesome. Craig, we like to wrap things up on our show with a segment that we like to call the Furious Five. It's just going to be five questions that uh, aren't necessarily related to anything that we've talked about today. They're just going to be kind of fun, get to know you sort of questions. We encourage rapid fire answers. Uh, I, I promised you before we started the show that I would mix things up a little bit. So you get a little bit of a different uh, set of questions here than we typically offer, but uh, I'll go ahead and start since you mentioned hockey earlier. Um, Who's your favorite hockey team and how do you rate their chances of taking the cup for my beloved hometown Tampa Bay Lightning? 
Oh yeah, Tampa's doing well. I love that you asked me a hockey question. Here in Singapore, we don't get many hockey questions. So. I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> I it used have, to be you didn't get too many hockey questions here in Tampa either when I was growing up, but my have times changed. <laughs> I have to say I've been teased a lot, but my team has always been since their heyday, the Edmonton Oilers. Sure. So, they, uh, thanks to Wayne Gretzky, I've been a big fan. And even though, sadly, he left the beloved city of Edmonton and the Oilers have kind of sucked for a while, they're back on it with, uh, we call him McJesus. Connor McDavid's probably one of the best players right now in uh, the NHL. So Edmonton Oilers, they're going all the way. Nice. Okay, there you have it. You heard it here first on Ready Teacher One. Second question, what's the best meal you've eaten recently? Ooh, this will be a cultural thing. So in Singapore, their, one of their premier dishes is something called chicken rice. But it sounds bland upon first sort of listening to it, but it is so delicious. What they end up doing is they, they have this sort of secret sort of magic soup sauce that they use and they soak the chicken and the rice in and you know, when it comes out, it, it's this just magical dish that if you've never uh, tried it before, authentic Singapore chicken rice, which is at something called Hawker Centers. So we have food courts back in North America. Their equivalent to a food court here are outdoor ones because uh, the weather is so beautiful. Sure. And they're called Hawker Centers. So they're, it's cheap. Everyone thinks Singapore is so expensive, but these Hawker centers, you can get chicken and rice for $3. Sounds incredible. You mentioned being a gamer earlier, and I'm wondering if you were stuck on a desert island with one video game, what would it be and why? Uh, it would definitely be keep talking and no one explodes. For two reasons. One, I kind of cheated here because I would need a friend to play it. So it's okay. an asyn asynchronous game. So in this game, you have this bomb and someone else outside of the game can't see the bomb, but you can, and you have to work with them and talk with them to try and diffuse the bomb. And the bomb gets more and more complicated. Beautiful okay. game. Nice, nice. What's your favorite book that you've ever read other than the wonderful VR book that you wrote, of course. <laughs> uh, I'm going to throw out a couple. One uh, incredible classic. So How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie is sure. absolutely One of my favorites. Changed. It changed me in my 20s when I read that. You know, it became less about me and more about asking people questions about them, which uh, has boded well for me in my life. And then the, the other one, which uh, I allude to a lot in my book, is Mario Livio writes a book called Why? What Makes Us Curious? And it really unpacks for teachers, you know, that whole adage that, you know, gee, my, my little kid or my kindergartner or my grade oneer is always asking questions about this and that and the other thing. But when we get older, we never ever seem curious about anything. And so he uncovers the science behind that and the mystery on why curiosity tends to be diluted as we get older. 
Tremendous. The last question of the Furious Five, we like to call the contrarian question, and it's really Adam's question. So at this point in the show, I always pass the mic back over to him. Craig, what do you know true to be a, uh, to, about the future of VR in education that other educational technologists might disagree with you on? Fantastic question. My, my belief will be that because VR is so good at soft skills, as well as teaching more abstract concepts, that that's gonna force educators to look more carefully at their curriculum and try and you know, reduce the amount of minutia that is present in many curricula that is forcing us to somehow have this stranglehold on the idea that we need to teach didactically and we need to fill kids with facts and basic skills to the point where we keep saying, I just have no time to do some of the fun stuff. Makes sense. Craig, it's been so much fun having you on this evening, or I should say this morning for you since you're 12 hours ahead of us in the future there. Um, where can folks find you on social media? Yeah, LinkedIn is a good one. So I'm fairly active on LinkedIn and then Twitter as well. So at C Frelick Teach is also a great place to see me hanging out and exchanging ideas and connecting with people. Awesome. Great. Thank thanks you so you. much again. Gentlemen, you have a great show and I really appreciate your efforts to move VR forward. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and likewise. And, and why don't you give a plug real quick for your podcast as well? Because I know that you've been at this uh, podcasting about VR and education thing for a lot longer than the two of us have. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm as, uh, as funny as you two guys, but uh, <laughs> I do have a, a podcast also. And uh, so it is called literally VR and education. And so we, uh, Easy enough on a more find. serious note, we uh, interview people uh, to try and help push VR into classrooms and schools. So thanks for that plug. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Craig. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds great, gentlemen. Have a great evening or morning. <laughs> <laughs>